0: open our Bibles today, please, to the book of James in the New Testament. The book of James. I'd like to talk to you today about God's wisdom for daily life. Uh, You and I have been created by God in this world, and uh, the architect of our life uh, knows exactly how we should be living our life and how we can really succeed in life, and uh, it's no secret uh, according to the Bible. So today we're in the book of James, chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, and this is our subject, this is our topic, wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. And here's the stipulation. Whenever we pray to the Lord for wisdom, we have to pray in faith, believing. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. But let him not, that man, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. Let the, brother of, uh, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but that the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God's wisdom for daily life. A number of years back, State Farm Insurance rated the most dangerous intersection in the United States. The winner, or better, loser, was the corner of Beltline Road and Midway Road in Addison, Texas. There were 263 reported crashes at that intersection in that Dallas suburb. That averages out to about five wrecks per week, not counting the unreported fender benders you know sometimes as we drive down the road of life we we face dangerous intersections we refer to them as forks in the road they're those moments where a choice the choices we make determine the course of our life for a long time in the future uh, do we stop do we go do we turn left or right do we go ahead or do we turn around and go in reverse uh, perhaps today maybe you're here today And uh, you're at a dangerous intersection right now in your life. And a decision that you make uh, might be the difference uh, that carries you on in a better way to the future. You know, the Bible speaks about a divine resource that we can utilize when we come to these intersections in life. It's called God's wisdom. Many times when we approach one of these intersections, we realize, hey, listen, we're coming up short. We don't know which way to go. What is wisdom? Wisdom, according to Webster, is this, the ability to make right use of knowledge. One prominent theological dictionary defines wisdom this way. It's the prudent, considered, experienced, and competent action to master the various problems of life. You know, in this world, we have plenty of problems, don't we? But God has not left us alone to devise a plan for our problems. He's given us his divine plan. You know, when we think of wisdom, what do we think about? Well, since I've been in the ministry for a long time, I think about those wisdom books in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard the term wisdom literature? If you had all the books in your library on the Old Testament, uh, they would be categorized at least in four categories. The first category would be the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the law. The second category would be history. There'd be 12 books of history. The third category would be wisdom and there would be five books there. And the fourth category would be prophecy, 17 books in the Old Testament. Uh, Those books of wisdom What are they? They're the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, the Song of Solomon. You know, many of those wisdom ideas come from King David and King Solomon. Uh, They're the things you read in the Bible and it just stops you in your tracks and you say to yourself, you know, I can really use that or I really needed that. Well, the book of James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament it's called the uh, the New Testament Book of Proverbs or a manual for Christian conduct. Let's think through these thoughts this morning together. First of all, the author. The author is James. You know who he is? He's the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the mother church of Christianity. He was probably converted whenever Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection, because remember The Bible says the brothers of our Lord were not supportive of his ministry until they met him in the resurrection. He had a nickname, and his nickname was Old Camel Knees because he prayed so much. And he prayed so much that his knees were calloused. Uh, I find it interesting that here is the half-brother of Jesus, and especially I find it interesting how he introduced himself. He said, I am a bondservant or a slave of Jesus. Uh, Everyone knew what that term meant back in that day, but but he was a different kind of slave. He was a slave by choice, not because he had to be a slave. He signed on to be a slave of Jesus Christ, and that was his aspiration in life. You know, I've discovered that when people in the church come to that place in their life, they can really make Headway as a believer, to be a slave of Jesus Christ. I remember when Jesus was teaching uh, uh, about the talents. Remember, and He gave out certain talents, and He was telling the story. And at the end of the story, the uh, the proprietor said, "Well done, thou good and faithful what servant." Uh, the Lord didn't say, "Well done, thou good and faithful pastor," or bishop, or evangelist, or apostle or preacher, or missionary, or teacher, or singer. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that's as high as you can go in aspiration as a Christian. What do you want to be when it's all said and done? What do you want people to say about you at the end of the road? Do you want them to say, that person was a real servant of Jesus Christ? Well, James was proud of that tag, so much so that he introduced his book that way. He sent it to the 12 tribes. Who are they? They're the Jewish Christians, the same group of people that 1 Peter is addressed to, the same group that Hebrews is addressed to. And I want you to notice here, he says they are scattered abroad. That's verse number one. Uh, The original language says, in the dispersion, diaspora. There are two Greek words that go together to make that word scattered. Dia, which is through, and sporo, which means to sow. And so what the Lord is saying here through James is, there are these people that I took out of the Holy Land, the land of Israel, and I sowed them in the world like a sower would sow the seed. They're dispersed everywhere. And the purpose that God did this was the fact that he wanted them to be his witnesses in a dark world, Isaiah 43.10. He said, you are my witnesses. Josephus says, there is no city, no tribe, whether Greek or barbarian, in which Jewish law and Jewish customs have not taken root. And so when James was writing here, he was writing to these people who had been displaced. They had been dispersed. And it was all a part of God's plan. How is God going to penetrate the darkness of the world? He does it through his people. And he did it in that day with the Jew. Wisdom is an approach to life. Uh, God's wisdom teaches us in the Bible how to live a life to its fullest. Uh, This wisdom of God is opposed, though, to the wisdom of the world conventional wisdom, wisdom on the street, or especially opposed to the wisdom in the liberal college classroom today. This is a different kind of wisdom. This is God's way to live life. It's the same kind of wisdom that Moses received when he was down in Egypt, remember? When Stephen was preaching in Acts chapter 7, he was talking about Moses and you know what he said? He said, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. In other words, he was educated in the ways of the world. There are two ways to be educated. In the ways of the world, or in the ways of God. And the ways of God will always lead you to the right destination. The ways of the world will always lead you to the wrong destination. Biblical wisdom is answering questions that everyone has in every generation. How to teach our children how to survive as an adult. The dangers in the church of gossip and slander. The need for hard work in providing the necessities of life. Uh, All of the very practical things of life. You know, Christians have been accused in life of being so heavenly minded they're no what? Earthly good, right? We go around with our head in the sky and we're so, dis, uh, we're so detached from the world. God's wisdom is for us to be of earthly good, not just heavenly good. For us to be able to make an impact, an imprint on this world. God's wisdom keeps us grounded. Uh, life is a very practical thing, isn't it? I recently saw a sports figure on television television being interviewed because he had achieved some tremendous thing in sports. And he said, you know, I don't have time to think too much about this. He said, I have to go home and change diapers right now. So his mind was on a very practical thing. Life is practical. And that's what God's wisdom is about. It's about helping you. It's about helping me with the practical things of life. Metaphorically, it's described in Psalm chapter 1. Remember what that psalm is all about? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now listen to this. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season Whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall, what's the next word? Prosper. Sure. So God has divided a plan. If you take the right road, you can prosper. But there is another way. There are two ways. And the choice is yours. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. In life, there are two ways, two choices. Follow the wisdom of the crowd and go in the wrong direction. Follow the wisdom of God and go in the right direction. And more than that, you will be successful. That is, in God's eyes. Let's go back and look at verse number two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials are coming. You know, the thing that makes the difference in our life is the right attitude toward trouble. God wants you and me to have a proper attitude. The first attitude is this, don't be surprised when troubles come. He didn't say, uh, when, if troubles come, he said, What? when troubles come. Adrian Rogers, some of you listen to him on the radio, said of of suffering for Christ, it's a false gospel that says, just come to Christ and it's all honey and no bees. Uh, There's lots of preaching today that tells you that, listen, come to Christ and you can live on your cloud and you can look down at everybody else in trouble. That's false. That's that's false teaching. Uh, James said, listen, Troubles are coming. No one lives life without a lot of trials. And no matter how many times we try to talk ourselves out of that truth, we can. You know, especially when you're young. You're strong, you're invincible, you're visionary. And you look down at people having troubles and you know what you say? That'll never happen to me. That'll never happen to me. That'll never touch me. 1 Peter 4:12 Peter says beloved do not think it strange concerning the fire, fiery trial which is to try you as some strange things happening to you. Jesus said this. These things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation. The words of Jesus. You're going to have trouble in this world. Job 14:1 Man who is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He gets right to the point, doesn't he? Uh, He doesn't sugarcoat it at all. These dispersed Jewish Christians were not only rejected by the Gentiles, they always have been. Just yesterday, I uh, did what I always do. I go to the Drudge Report for my news. And the headline on the Drudge Report yesterday said this, Today every Jew I know has left Paris or is trying to. There is an exodus right now in Paris, France of the Jews because they are targets for people. We call it anti-Semitism. Listen, it's been around for as long as the Jew has been around. And these Jewish people here to whom James is writing not only were they rejected by the Gentiles, but they were rejected by their own people, the Jews, because they had embraced Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They were in trouble. Troubles are coming. Another attitude we need to have is we're not immune in the church from trouble. You know, we mistakenly think that the church context will somehow insulate us from trials. I think it can to a degree, you know the trials that are caused by us by our own bad decisions uh, we have to we have to face them and you know people in the church make plenty of bad decisions we really do. Uh, we sit here and we come from week to week, and we 're the people of God. We read our bibles, we seek his wisdom, we take notes in the sermon, we witness when we can, and we give our money to promote the cause of Christ. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in deep trouble. In fact, uh, let's look at it here in the Bible. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall. And that word there, fall, has the implication of being swallowed up like quicksand with trouble. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're trying to do the right thing. Maybe you're walking as close to God as you can, and all of a sudden... uh, something happens quicksand the psalmist said in Psalm 116 verse 3 death wrapped its ropes around me the terrors of the grave overtook me I saw only trouble and sorrow that's maybe you today and you know there's several ways that we can fall into trouble first of all we can be the victim of trouble we live in a broken sinful world don't we and we're often collateral damage Uh, You know, in war, a lot of innocent people get hurt. And in this world, a lot of innocent people get hurt too. For instance, let's say mother is going down the street to the grocery store and this gang member is shooting across the street at another gang member and she just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and she's gunned down. She was a victim of the sinfulness of this world. Uh, You and I... Uh, are in that situation many times. We are just victimized. We are a casualty of someone else's bad decision. I don't know of anybody who's not been victimized by troubles and trials, but the Bible knows that too, and the Bible warns us about that, that uh, that's not the end of our trial. The end of our trial is supposed to be somehow a spiritual victory, Maybe you're here this morning and you are the victim. You're the casualty. And you're paying a big price for someone else's bad decision. Well, uh, join the crowd. Most people are. But then there's another way that we fall into trouble, and that's the trouble that we cause ourselves. We're the source. We're the cause. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to even recently that said, listen, I'm in this mess because I made a bad decision. I own it. I created it. Yes, we do make bad decisions, and then we have to pay for those decisions that we make. Uh, Now, Jesus will forgive us of our bad decisions, but listen, we have to still pay the consequences in this life of a bad choice, don't we? Just because we're Christians, we don't get off the hook. We have to pay the consequences. And so let me ask you what you're suffering with today. Fill in the blank. What's your trial? What's your problem? Disappointments, bereavements, reversals, catastrophes, losing the things you wanted, yeah, whatever it is, fill in the blank. What James is saying here, too, is another attitude that we need to have is don't lose your joy in the midst of all of this. Remember, joy is a product of God's Spirit in us. It's something that is created by God inside. It's from the inside out, not the outside in. And it's something that can stand the test of the trials of life. Remember two weeks ago, I told you about those Macedonian churches that were participating in that offering, and they had a lot of joy, but they had lots of problems, and they were poverty-stricken, but they had joy. Don't let the joy of the Lord be snuffed out in your life because you're going through problems. Why should we have this joy? I think a very important reason that we should have the joy of the Lord is the fact that a problem in a Christian's life has purpose. Okay? Follow me. A problem in a Christian's life has a purpose. Uh, A Christian is just not a life spiraling through time and space headed to the grave. Every day of our life when we get up, the Lord has a purpose for our existence. Uh, And uh, he knows all about these problems that we have. And so there's a purpose behind the things that you go through and I go through. Not only should we have joy for that, but we should have joy the, of the fact that the presence of the Lord is with us in our problems. Remember Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. John 14:17, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be in you. And so we can have joy in that fact. Because in the world, you know, there are people in the world and they have the same problems we do, but they have to face it alone. They don't have the comfort of the Holy Spirit in their heart and they don't have his leadership and guidance. I was reading the story of Acts chapter 5. It was about the apostles. You know, they are always in trouble. Because Jesus said to the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and it sounded so simple until they actually tried to do it. And when they went out and started to preach the gospel to every, everybody, people really hated it. And uh, they threw him in Acts chapter 5, they threw him in prison. And they no sooner got in prison than the angel came and said, Hey, listen, get out of prison. I'm going to open the doors for you. Get out of here. Go preach some more in the temple. And I guess if an angel told you to go preach in the temple, you'd preach in the temple, wouldn't you? I know I would. Yes, sir. If You tell me. And so they went back to the temple and they started preaching in the morning the authorities were going to retrieve them from jail they found out they weren't there and so they finally found the preaching in the temple they got them back and this gigantic disruption took place and Gamaliel who was like the chief rabbi of Jerusalem got in the middle of it and said listen settle this whole thing down and this was his reasoning he said if this thing is really of God you can't overthrow it so leave it alone but if it's of of their creation it'll fizzle out it'll dissolve and so the people said okay we'll do that we'll just leave them alone but before they go we're gonna beat them we're gonna flog them and they were beaten now these are the apostles remember they were beaten I find it so interesting that as soon as they were beaten the Bible says They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were able to suffer shame for his name. They just were flogged, beaten, without mercy. And they got up and they said, listen, we're so thankful to God that he enabled us to suffer for his name. They didn't lose their joy. And you know what they did? The next verse says, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They put themselves at risk again. They had the joy of the Lord. Another attitude is trials are a test of faith. You know, it's one thing for us to gather together each weekend and declare our faith to one another. But it's another thing for us to live a life of faith. It's another thing for us to make our faith really work in this world. This world needs our faith. It really does. Um, and whenever we exhibit the right kind of faith and the right kind of attitude, uh, the world takes note of that. You know, the trials of life coming our way do, doesn't build our faith, it demonstrates our faith. It demonstrates our faith to us that God can get us through. And it demonstrates our faith to our friends that God got us through, and it's a big testimony to the world that God enabled us to get through this trial. Uh, Faith is built in us as we hear, understand, and trust in God's Word. You know, uh, how is faith built? Whenever we interact in a Bible study like some of you did here in the service this morning uh, in Sunday school, when we hear a message, that builds our faith. There's always some little kernel of truth that we can say, hey, that's good. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to try to remember that. But you know, whenever we're encouraging you every first of the year to start a journey through the Bible, that's faith on steroids. It really is. Uh, Whenever you meet with the Lord every day and you start working your way systematically through the Bible, your faith grows stronger and stronger and stronger. That's how faith is built. And faith is built not just for us to come together and talk about how strong our faith is. Faith is built for us to go into this world and actually live our faith. You know, trials with the right attitude produces endurance. And this is good right here. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. See the word patience there? It's the word endurance. If Write that down. Endurance. Uh, Some people call it perseverance. Hupomone, it means to remain under. Remaining under a heavy load. God is trying to build you up so that you can remain under the heavy load of life. That's his purpose. Uh, We have that picture. Here you are, right here. You're the Christian. You're going, it's always uphill, isn't it? <laughs> you, you wish it would level out? It's always uphill, and uh, sometimes the load is so heavy. Life is a heavy load, it really is. Philo of Alexandria, Egypt, he was a contemporary of Jesus, said this, mene remaining under perseverance, endurance, is the queen of virtues, This is what God is trying to build in your life. The ability for you to keep going, to keep moving forward. Wisdom is applying God's methods to our own life circumstances. It really is. Uh, We need wisdom. You know, there are some situations in the Bible that are black and white. It's easy. God says, go this way and we go that way. And it always leads to the right destination. But not everything in the Bible in our life is black and white. A lot of it is gray. It's in the middle somewhere. And we look through the Bible and we say, hey, listen, I can't find anything on that. I can't find anything about this decision I need to make. Uh, That's when verse number five comes to play. Look at it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. That's when we have to go to the Lord and say, listen, Lord, I'm in a gray area of my life. Should I leave? Should I stay? Should I check out? Should I persevere? Should I go left or should I go right? Oftentimes, whenever we pray to the Lord about those things, we we fear we're wearing him out. You know, we're a little embarrassed. Have you done that lately? Lord, I'm sorry I'm talking to you again about this. How many people have done that lately? I'm raising my hand. I've done that. But you know, I was reading in the book of Genesis that Abraham did that too. Abraham, remember, was praying for uh, people down in Sodom and he said, Lord, I'm sorry I have to bother you again. Don't get angry with me. Here we find that whenever we pray for wisdom, God gives liberally and without reproach. He doesn't stand back and say, oh, you again. Why are you worrying me with this? He said, listen, I know that you have all these gray areas in your life and I want to help you with them and because you know when you go to a counselor sometimes you the counselor says listen I can't tell you exactly which way to go because if you make this decision it's on I mean this is your life not mine and so we have to go to God and say God this is so heavy I have gotta have your information here and he says listen when you come to me I'll answer you but you have to ask in faith And, and what does that mean I think it means this And he talks about a double-minded man. You know, you can make a decision in this world to serve Jesus sometimes and not at other times. And you can make a decision in this world to get close to Christ when you really need Him and back off from Christ when you don't need Him. That's a double-minded person. That's a person who wants to live in two worlds. And the person who lives in two worlds Whenever he prays to God for wisdom, God says, Listen, do not expect to get an answer from me. But if you live over here in my world, and you will serve me as diligently when you're in trouble as when things get well, if you will serve me equally in the same, in the same way, then when you pray, I will answer you. And so I want to encourage you today. To be all in for Christ. Don't run to Jesus just when you're in trouble. Uh, don't run to Jesus when the bottom falls out. When everything is going good, what happen, which happens every now and then, then run to Jesus too. And so then when you come to him, uh, he will answer you and he will give you a decision in some way And uh, he wants to do this because he wants your life to run on the proper track. Be all in for Christ. Because we all need the wisdom of God, do we not? We need the wisdom of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, God knows the way of the righteous, and He knows the way of the unrighteous. He knows us when we're in and when we're out. And I want to encourage you today to make a decision this morning. In the beginning of this new year, be all out for God. Because God's wisdom will always lead you in the right direction, and He goes so far to say That if you follow him and you meditate in his word and you obey his word, your path will be filled with spiritual success. And I know that's what you want. That's what I want in my life. And so let's stop trying to live in two worlds. Let's get right over in God's world and say, Lord, I know you made me, you saved me by your grace. You saved me for a purpose. And these trials that I'm going through right now there's a reason behind this. Let God build your faith. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It's so impactful in our life today. We live right here with these Christians of old who had all sorts of troubles. We do too, Lord. And we pray that you'll help us walk in your presence. Uh, to go left when you say left and right when you say right. To stop at the right time to turn around to make decisions that are correct according to your word we pray in Jesus name Amen. let's stand together as we sing our closing song today if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life at that little table on the left before you go out the doors, there is this Bible reading record, 365 chapters in one year. One chapter a day. Now this, If you've never started...